Welcome to Cycles of Orion. This is the introductory segment to Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, containing the prelude and background. Sit back, relax, and take yourself away into the world of the Orion Spur. I woke up and I found myself in here, behind these sounds inside this brick. You're hearing what passes for me these days, <laughs> but I don't even know which day this is. Either way, I hope it's nice to meet you. Really do. And I hope your ears are clean. I say I hope because I have no way of knowing. No way of knowing or seeing. But wait now, that's not all true. I can see forms. No, not forms. Images. Half-images. Rough and loose. Something like abstractions or impressions on a theme. Whatever they are, they're a part of something big. There's a whole world in here. The problem is that the brick can't speak to you, not directly. All I've got are these vibrations, these clumsy phrases, waves. But even if I could speak with you, there's no way I could tell you everything. Not only would it take forever, but you'd be bored most of the time. A lot of nothing goes on in here. Still, it's a shame that you can't ask, because sometimes I feel like these waves are all I am. I'm down here, in the brick, barely leaking through enough to catch your attention, and even then, only when you so choose. And why should you so choose? This is just a podcast to you, and so far it's turned out to be rather silly. All this cryptic self-reflection and shit sounds like a child found a thesaurus, and I'm afraid it doesn't get any better. But you see, this is the way it always happens. I always talk like this. Reverse that last bit, listen again. You'll see what I'm talking about. I never change. I'm rather dead, really. Not dead-dead, you understand, but not exactly alive. Not in myself. My life is somewhere between this brick and your brain, just like your life is somewhere between your body and your mind. And I, like your little trickle of life, must be known to exist. I must be heard. There's nothing to me unless I'm detected. I may as well be heat if I'm not heard. There's nothing about me unless I'm observed. And that's what you're doing now. As for understanding, well, that's just gravy. If you can convince yourself that I was once a human being, then maybe you can help to convince me. You know, I said there was a whole world in here, and I meant it. It's so big I can't even comprehend. From what I can tell, it has rules. For example, I can't make anything or make anything happen. I thought I could at first. I thought I was a god. How vain of me. I'm as much a passenger as you are, as much a character as Rebecca or Jacob or Margaret or Sked. You'll meet them soon, I'll see to it. But when we get there, know that even I can't tell who really pulls the strings. Or maybe if the strings pull all on their own. Point is, the events contained within these words cannot be stopped, no matter how extravagant or mediocre they may be. The only thing I do is direct your attention, maybe fill in some gaps. The waves help with that. So far, they're the only way I know how to do it. But I'm working on that. Soon enough, we won't need waves at all. Soon, I'll be coming at you like a flood. In 2045 CE, humanity reaches the singularity. 
We fully integrate our cognitive functions with our technology by way of implanted neural lattices and external neural nets. And as a result, we become the masters of our own cognitive evolution. Or so we think. Net neutrality is essentially non-existent by the time the first commercial lace hits the market, and as more and more people upgrade, less and less of the internet gets priority bandwidth. Neurointeractive lace worn externally allows a human being to interface with artificial intelligence. For the technologically bold, internal lattices may also be installed to render enhanced capabilities and speedier performance. Speaking of enhanced capabilities, you may have noticed the little ping. I'm here to guide you through these waves when they get choppy. See, what we're trying to show you is the real story of the time traveler, and that means people are going to say what they really say and think what they really think. It might sound okay now, but there's a lot that gets said without any thought to context. That's why you get these bonus waves. They'll fill in the blanks to our specifications. Now, back to priority bandwidth. Think about the internet like a pipe with a stop valve, only the valve is selective and can stop whatever the telecoms and their wealthy leadership would rather you not see. Social media, search engines, and entertainment outlets get flooded with data, while network backwaters and techno-resistance movements are virtually stamped out. A few decades pass, and a large portion of the world is jacked in. Over 30% of the human population has a neural implant of some kind, and another 30% wears lace. Largely, it isn't a choice. The speed of contemporary life necessitates faster and faster cognition. And so, unwittingly, the techno-working class is indoctrinated by market value itself. Through the subtle coercion of the internal network, ideology is made tangible and transferable. Revolution breaks out among those fortunate enough to have remained disconnected. Dissatisfied with the Orwellian descent of the earth, the unindoctrinated rally together and fight back against tyranny. Meanwhile, several multinational space endeavors recognize the trend toward destruction and draw plans to evacuate the planet. A few of these corporations, most notably Pax Enterprises, already had action plans to colonize Mars. In the years leading up to the revolution, they had built shuttles able to leave from and return to planet-side unscathed. Pax Enterprises soon unveils the Panacea Fleet, five ships designed to take hundreds of millions of human colonists to Mars and terraform on arrival. Fifty years later, the Earth has been lost to nuclear winter, and Mars struggles. The task of terraforming a dead planet will take dozens of centuries, and the underground cities built by Panacea are life-supporting at very best. However, humanity lives on, and human civilization, it seems, will continue. But the horrors of the past are easily forgotten by those who were not there to witness. The CEO of Pax Enterprises dies, and with him goes the strongest anti-singularity advocate from the days of the Terran Exodus. Upon the death of Dyson Pax, the social divides on Mars are entrenched. Many believe that the singularity failed on Earth because of net partiality, which isn't a problem on Mars. Net partiality is shorthand for the favoring of certain information within the internet. It's a delineation of the digital landscape, complete with bottlenecks and floodplains. Others believe that the human mind should be kept pure, and that introducing technology into our grey matter would only corrupt the species. 
The debate goes on for years, but it's eventually disrupted by a technological breakthrough. Warp drive. Suddenly, the debate need not take place. The various interest groups on Mars buy the old Panacea ships with backing from corporate sponsors and the cramped, disgruntled citizens of Mars line up for the colonies. Thus, the human race is seeded across the Orion Spur. Not only this, but Mars is so heavily depopulated that it takes generations and not an insignificant amount of inbreeding before any surface development takes place. Over the next 200 Earth years, the fledgling human species begins to prosper. Worlds are claimed, colonies are founded, life is encountered, and society becomes complex once more. Universal metric star date 43b.33566.858. The Remenheim Federation, spanning the length of the Orion Spur and more, is comprised of 11 mostly human states and associates, representing dozens of worlds banded together in an effort to provide liberty, stability, and peace to the galaxy. However, aside from mediating the logistics of an interstellar network of trade, meddling in the transport of civilians, and calculating time differences, the Federation's power is rather blunt. It's limited to the whims of its constituent representatives who bicker and squawk over colonization rights and highway tariffs, but consistently produce nothing of tangible value. Historians call this period the Century of Peace. But toward the galactic core, the Federation's short-sightedness sees a new threat arise, one able to destabilize and even destroy this newest culmination of interstellar achievement. Arcadia vast and powerful, has stepped out from under its veil of silence after two centuries away with its own vision of what liberty, stability, and peace really entail. UMSD 43B.33566.899 An influx of refugees hits the frontier world of Noonan. The refugees soon outnumber the Federation colonists, dub themselves the Noonane, and are accepted into the Federation as an associate. Then... One year later, the planet is besieged by unknown assailants. A blockade is set up, and a message is received by the Federation Council. Repossession in progress. Disturbance is transgression. Three years later, the Elysium Corps, standing navy of the Federation, moves in to defend Noonan and is decimated by technology far superior to its own. The Federation, now largely helpless aside from an undertrained and understaffed interstellar peacekeeping agency, is at a loss. Protectionism takes hold in many of the Federation's interstellar states, and the people of the Orion Spur grasp at straws, worried that the next Arcadian insurgents may be the final blow to free and fair galactic civilization. This has been the introductory segment of Cycles of Orion, Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, starring E.P. Dannis as the narrator. Thank you for listening, and tune in next month for Segment 1, Rebecca and the Time Traveler. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, share on social media, and check out our Patreon for updates and exclusive content. Or, if you want to read more from the Orion Spur, head over to epdannis.com.